want you to open your Bibles to the 62nd Psalm. My introduction to superheroes was much different than that of my children. It's in 1989. Any, some of you may remember 1989. It was quite the year. I was 12 years old. And we got the movie Batman starring Michael Keaton and, and Jack Nicholson. I get that confused with a golfer if I'm being transparent with you. But Jack Nicholson. Uh, that led to a string of movies, but that wasn't my introduction to superheroes. In, in the year 2000, there, was an, there were the X-Men movies. I was 23 years old. In 2002, the first of the Spider-Man trilogy came out, and, and I was 25 years old. In 2008, we got what gave birth, or what we what begat, in the words of King James, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, when Iron Man came out. And I was not in my 20s anymore, but I loved them nonetheless. None of these were my first interaction with a superhero on film. My first interaction took place in the early 80s. But there was a movie that had come out in 1978. And while you're under the age of, if you're, under my, if you're not my age, if you're in your teens or you're in your 20s and you met superheroes through Tony and Cap and the Avengers, my first interaction was Superman. Starring uh, Christopher Reeves, he played the main role of Superman. There was an actor named Gene Hackman, he still is an actor. Marlon Brando was in this movie. It was such a unique experience for me as you could literally see the rope that was attached to the man as he flew from one place to the other. And you'll notice in this photo that he is in this crystal palace, if you will. It was called the Fortress of Solitude. It was in the North Pole, obviously. And to get in the door, there was a giant lock and to get the key to the giant lock. You had to lift the giant key, but you had to have Kryptonian strength to do so. Inside of the Fortress of Solitude were numerous things. One was an alien zoo, because why not? There was a miniaturized city that he was trying to grow. There was also a giant steel diary. They were really leaning into giant things and miniature things at this point in time. The 70s, man, it was a trip. And in this Fortress of Solitude, you would look and you would notice this. Its main purpose was to be the refuge for Superman. It was the place where he got away from his enemies. It's a place where he stepped away from his lousy job. Side note, if I'm Superman, I have one job. That is to be Superman, nothing else. He got away from every noise in the world because when you have super hearing, you can hear everything all at the exact same time. He got away from everything. In this psalm... David tells us that that is who God is to him. That in God, I step away from my enemies. In God, I step away from the... I, I can see that I'm removed from the difficulties and hardships of my job. In God, in the world, is where I can remove myself from those things. I find refuge this is who God is to me. So I'm going to read Psalm 62 over us. I want you to listen or look along in your Bible as I read. I am at rest in God alone. My salvation, it comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. 
I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were learning, as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high. They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Say, law. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and is my salvation. He is my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in Him, in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is our refuge, Selah. Common people are only a vapor. Important people, an illusion. Together, on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on that. God has spoken once. I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to God. And faithful love belongs to you, Lord. For you repay each according to his works. The breakdown of the psalm is relatively clean because it's a song. Psalms and songs, that's what we find here. When you read, when he talks about for the choir director, David is giving direction, instruction in this psalm that the person who is in charge should make sure that this has meter to it, that it goes together, that everything flushes out correctly, that it is working together. Then when you look at this in verses 1 through 4, you see this is the statement that God is making. I trust God. The second thing that you see is this in 5 through 8. You move from this is who I am to this is what I'm going to do. I want to trust God. And then the third thing we see in 9 through 12 is, help me trust you, God. Intentionally, we see this second person pronoun, help me trust you, God. We move from him making declarations about who God is to seeing and and saying, God, I want you to be these things for me. I want to know these things about you. The Psalms are unique in comparison to the rest of biblical literature because they function a little bit differently. In the rest of the Bible, we often get God speaking to His people and through them to us today. So you will read through whatever your favorite book is. And I know that you have favorite books like Zechariah that I preached last week. And when you read through this, you see that God is speaking through this book to His people. When you read in 1 Peter, God is speaking through that book to His people. You see that consistent rhythm in the Bible. God speaking through a book to His people. But the Psalms are not necessarily speaking to us. They speak for us. They are giving direction for how the people of God are to speak to God. They speak for us. So first and foremost, before there's anything else, yes, they are songs, but before that, they're prayers. They're these really, really honest prayers that we see in throughout the, this entirety of a collection. And we shouldn't interact with them in the way that we do Peter or Paul or Isaiah. We interact with the Psalms differently because when we interact with the Psalms, the best way for us to spend time in them is not to read them, though that is helpful, 
and beneficial, but we don't read them for the sake of information. We see that these are God showing us how to talk to Him. The best way to use the Psalms is to pray them. And when we pray them, we understand them better. We understand why God would inspire whoever the psalmist happens to be to say what he happens to be saying. And when we, when we display them, when we display, or rather, when we pray them, we display faith in God. So that's the big idea for today. When we pray, we display that we have faith in God. Why would we not take what God has inspired someone to write to show us how to talk to Him about having faith and trust in Him. So when we pray, we are actively seeking to find rest in God. Whenever any of us pray, whenever we talk to God, whatever we're doing, whether we are praying in a way that aligns with the Scriptures or in a way that may be a bit off sometimes, we are seeking to find our rest in God. We are hoping to find our rest in Him. Look at the way that the psalmist talks to God in this psalm. Just just listen right here. Uh, Four times in this psalm, the psalmist will say that God is the source of his deliverance. Three times he's going to use the phrase rock. Not the rock that we know, but the rock. You are the rock. Three times. Two times he says to God, you are my stability. Two times he tells him, you are my refuge. One time he says, you are my hope. One time he says, you are my glory. One time he says to God, you have all power. Duh. That is the modern equivalent of Selah, I'm assuming, in this passage. And we also see the source that, God, you are the source of steadfast love. We look at this psalm, and we see this is David telling us, this is, how you, this is how I'm talking to God in light of my situation, in light of my circumstance. God, I trust you. And we also have to acknowledge, if we're talking about Psalms, any of them, but this one in specific, though this is the way David is praying, and this is the way that many of the Psalms flesh out, it's not how we pray. Most of our prayers are not, this is who you are. It's more like, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I would like for you to do. If you're not busy, God, could you get around to this? When you read through Psalm 62, David doesn't ask God for anything. He's operating in this place where he says, God, you are my solitude. You are my fortress, you are my refuge, you are my sanctum, you are my hope. You are all, you are the place where I go. Because in God, He's who we go, He is where we go, but He's also who we go to. So you'll, you'll notice some rhythms in, in the first four verses and then the second four verses. The first thing that we see is when we look and evaluate, I trust God, you notice that he says, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my stronghold. I will never be shaken. That's, it says that in 1 and 2, and it says that in verse 5. Consistently, the same idea with a minor adjustment. He then comes to this question. For whomever his attackers are, his enemies are, those who are opposed to him, how long will you threaten a man? Will all of if I were a leaning wall or a tottering fence, David is acknowledging that his enemies are coming after him and they believe if they push hard enough, he will fall over. 
that he will totter. A word that I'm honestly sure I've never used. That he will cease to stand strong. Most believe these are not physical attacks of his enemies. These are attacks in the political realm. They're conniving, they're cunning. And David is saying, while you whisper and murmur, while you have conversations about me, trying to figure out how you're going to depower me, do you really believe that I'm going to fall over as if I have nothing or no one who holds me up? You, you see more of the conniving nature of the approach to this psalmist in verse 4. The only, they only plan, these enemies, they only plan to bring him down from his high position. I'm the king. I function as the king. Right or wrong, my behavior, I'm behaving as if I'm the king. But these who are opposed to me, they take pleasure in lying. They, they bless with their mouth. So, so when they talk to me, everything's okay. But when they interact with me, it's as if they're opposed to me. They curse me inwardly. You see this over and over. And then you get to this word, Selah. Now, Scott and I were talking earlier. Scott, who is our minister of screens. Unofficial position. Scott talks about when he puts a psalm on the screen, he will remove Selah at times. And he will remove it because it's a weird word. And sometimes when we're reading through it, from the, it's almost as if, what am I supposed to do with that? It functions in a few ways in a, in a passage in the psalm. And it's also, there are also some in Habakkuk. It's this word that functions where you would be brought to a place of silence. It's intentionally for the purpose of reflection. It's a musical interlude in places. So, so Jared singing our songs today. We're, we're going through those. And there are places where you will hear just music. And the only person who sings is the person who sings out of place. And you know who I am. <laughs> the psalmist in this passage intends for us to stop. To consider what's just been said. I trust God. I, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from God alone. God alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my stronghold. I will not be shaken. These stop. And then he says, stop. And we stop there for the consideration, do I see this to be true in my life? Am I someone who falls over when I'm pushed? Am I someone who is tottering? Second time, use of that word. Like a fence? Is this who God is to me? Let's not move so fast. This is the intent of the word. Let's not move so fast in reading through these scriptures in particular, but in the Bible in general, that we don't think about what was just said. Let's not move so fast that we don't consider what we just finished singing. So when we sing songs about God alone being our place of refuge, strength, is that true? Or are they words that we're muttering? He says, I trust God. And then you see in 5 and 6 that it's the same exact phrase with one addition. 
Uh-uh. Rest in God. Uh, hear me. Rest in God alone, my soul. For my hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. So in verse 1, it's a statement. In verse 5, he's telling himself to act as if this is true. Same enemies. They're pushing against him. I need to remind myself to rest and find security alone in Yahweh. He reminds himself that he's my rock, that he's my salvation, that he's my stronghold. That when I am making myself rest in him, I'm reminded that I am not as easily shaken. Verse 7, my salvation and glory depend on God. He's my strong rock. My refuge is in Him. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is our refuge. So we move from the statement where he would say, God alone is my refuge. And that word alone is another metric in this passage that is consistently rhythming and rhyming, which I'm not sure if I'm using that correctly, but it's working itself through the text to where you get to 5 through 8, same consistent concept. I rest in God alone. I am to rest in God alone. I better rest in God alone. He reminds himself of the truth that is there. Because if he does not remind himself consistently and continually of that truth, he will try to find his rest in weird places. And it doesn't take a deep dive into the life of David to see that he's attempted to find rest in strange places. And it doesn't take a deep dive into any of our lives to see that we find rest when we are separating ourselves from Yahweh in the weirdest of places. He goes from, I trust you, to God, I need you to help me to trust you. He goes from, I believe this, to I need you to help me. We need to be reminded that it is okay that we are finite beings. And that we are to call out to God in the face of our finite nature. Have we called out to Him? And then He stops again. Stops again with that same concept. Silence. A musical interlude. A break where the hearer, a break where the reader, a break where the considerer of this would say, I don't need to move so fast where I don't think about what I just said. I don't need to move so fast that I don't think about what was just saying. God, I, I really, really, you, you're my refuge. You, I trust you at all times. I need to rest in you. And I would assume that there are some of us even in this room right now that would look at what our life or lives have looked like over the past few months or years where we can go back to the constant place of seeing that God was our refuge, that we trust Him, and then we would see as life came at us where we would question that because of whatever attacks that may have been coming our way. And we may need to hear this rhythm of the passage that says, I trust you, God. I trust God. Help me trust you, God. I need you to do this. 
if we're not asking for his consistent help, that's as if it seems as if we've got things figured out. And we just don't. We just don't. We can have everything organized and structured and set in motion. And we can have our spreadsheet, whether it's a Microsoft spreadsheet or a Google spreadsheet, or maybe you just have a doc like me that has a bunch of weird things written on it, or maybe you've requested a whiteboard. You can have very well laid plans. Chaos ensues and undoes those, and you say to God, God, I, I trust you. I trusted you when this plan came together, God. But it seems as if everything's falling apart. Can you help me to trust you not to move so fast so that we would not say to ourselves sometimes and say to God, God, I need you. I need to know that trusting you is is what I'm doing. Consistent train of thought. We see that. It's the idea of I I didn't get here on my own. I'm not going to escape this by myself. In the last piece of the psalm, in verses 9 through 12, we see as David shifts from these statements to God, to him speaking to God in second person, in the you, he he declares this. And he talks about people. Common people? They're just a vapor. Here today, gone today. James said that. John Piper said that. And important. So they're a vapor, which is a reality. But important people, we're just an illusion. Vapor is a reality that is gone. Illusion is fictitious. No one thinks I'm as important as I am as I do. No one thinks you are as important as you are as you do. And David here is confronting what's taking place in our hearts. It's just false. He he said, "What? let's do this. This is paraphrase, not the message, my paraphrase. Let's take the vapor people and let's take the illusion people. Let's add them up and we'll put them on a scale and somehow they weigh less than a vapor. That's not subtraction, that's division. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. So David, even in this passage, we're seeing as he talks to God about the nature of his heart, I want to... These things that I would place my trust in, God, I, I want you to help me trust you. Please help me not to place my faith in, in these things because if I'm placing my faith in these things, whatever stuff that it happens to be, and I'm saying that I did that, we are in a, essence a robber because our things don't belong to us. Everything we have belongs to Yahweh. Everything. Your, your health your sickness, it belongs to God. Your children belong to God. Your family belongs to God. Your car belongs to God. Everything that we have belongs to Him. 
You get to 11 and 12. God has spoken once and I have heard it twice. It's a stair-step phrase that the psalmist uses. He's building to something. And what he is building to is this. God alone has strength. God alone has strength. And in everything that we value and measure as strong things, they belong to Him. Strength belongs to God. Faithful love belongs in you. It's the first you in the whole passage. Everything belongs to you. For you you will repay each according to His works. Charles Swindoll says this, There is a sense of stability in trusting the Lord. And we get to wait silently and with a sense of confidence. One writer says this about trusting God. He says, They trust not God at all who do not trust in Him and Him alone. Now, here's the thing about a psalm, and I don't want us to miss it. If this psalm is intended to be a prayer... I would be at fault to not guide you to pray through it. Because if the intent of this, if God's intent is for David to pray this psalm, then the preacher of a psalm should encourage the people, the listener, to pray through the psalm. Now, we remember the words that we saw earlier, that he's a source of my deliverance, that he's my rock, that he's the stability, that he's my refuge, that he's my hope, that he's my glory, that he has all power, that he's a source of steadfast love. So rather than me coming to a culmination where I say, did you not just learn something? I did such a good job of informing you. I want you to interact with these truths. So just in an attitude of prayer, you feel free to keep your eyes on the screen because the words will be there. I want us to bow our heads. And I'm going to make the statement. And I want you to tell this thing to God. I'm going to give you the statement and you talk to Him about how He did that. Now this may be, we have a hodgepodge of denominational backgrounds in here. So for some of you, this may be really silent and you're like murmuring things. For some of you, it may even be quiet. For some of you, you may say it out loud. For some of you, it may be an act of worship. That's okay. I invite you to interact with these truths in whatever way the Lord lays upon you from this passage. So the first thing that we see is, you delivered me. I encourage you as a listener to this psalm to talk to God about how He delivered you. Go. God, you are my rock. Talk to him about a time that you've seen that. God, you 
You keep me stable. You are my stability. Talk to God about a time where you have seen Him as your stability. You are my hope. God, you are my glory. If that's a word that's too much, you, God, you are the only thing I have worth celebrating. Go. God, you are my safe space. Father, these are the things that you are and these are the things that we need to know that you are. And and Lord, simultaneously, I I pray that we would ask and beg you to help us to see that that is who we need you to be for us. That we would never forget that you delivered us that you are our rock, that you are our stable place, that you are our hope, that you are our glory, that you are our safe space. Jesus says in Matthew, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, and the rivers rose, and and the winds blew, and, and they pounded that house. Yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell. The rivers rose and the winds blew. And they pounded that house and it collapsed. And collapsed with a great crash. Which saying these things. The crowds were astonished at his teachings. Because he was teaching like to them like one who had authority. Not like one of their teachers. So, Father God, we would pray that you would help us to see that you are everything in the text. That you're the hope of the text. You are the direction of the text. And Lord, I pray that as we consider Psalm 62, that our hearts would be aligned with you. With who you are. And 
and who you are in the sense that we need to remind it that you don't stop being that. We ask this in Jesus' name.